Welcome to Walk With Me, a ministry of Cornerstone Church. Hi, my name's Tori and I'll be your host. Sometimes when I want to make a new friend, I'll say, come walk with me and we'll talk. My goal for this podcast is that we as women would walk together and enjoy sweet community in Christ. Today on our program, we have Anastasia Tuckness. Welcome, Anastasia. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Tori. It's good to be here this morning. I live here in Ames. I've lived here for a long time, and my parents live here too, so this is pretty much home base for us. Um, Alex Tuckness is my husband. He's an elder here and speaks here, so a lot of people are like, oh, yeah. So, um, I also have a half-time children's librarian job at the public library that right. I've had for over 10 years, so um, that's kind of my structure, I guess. Uh-huh. Great. Now, what are you going to talk to us about today? Um, I'm going to share a little bit about mental illness and my lived experience with mental illness. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder some time ago and just have lived with that and walked my life with that and want to share about that with you. Fantastic. I think that'll really help a lot of women who are listening today. So when did you become aware that you had a mental illness? For me, it really showed up at puberty, like when I was 13, 14, and I had been like pretty regular, normal kid, um, no troubles emotionally or anything. But when I hit puberty, I got really irritable and grouchy and more defiant. And, um, and then I started getting just, uh, mental problems, like getting confused about which way was left and right. Uh, I remember being on the soccer field and not knowing which way I was supposed to run. And, and then my days got mixed up. So I was sleeping all day and staying up Uh all night. And did you immediately attribute that to mental illness or just uh, adolescence? Yeah, that's a good question. I was just trying to get through the day. Uh So it was really more my parents. I think that we're watching all of this and trying to figure out where do we go Mm -hmm. from here And so they were starting, they just started to bring me like to the family doctor and psychologists and counselors. And so it was just a process of about a year of trying to, trying to figure out what was going on. And at that time we didn't get a diagnosis. Um, And Did they diagnose you with anything else? Eventually, yeah, there was like a partial diagnosis. It was just, it was a very frustrating process because mental illness, it comes and goes And the symptoms come and go more maybe than physical illness. So, um, and this is something that people just need to be aware of. So you can be really depressed one day and make your appointment to see the counselor. And by the time you get to the counselor, you know, you you might not be, yeah, you might not have those symptoms anymore. And so it can be really, really hard to get a diagnosis because of that, because the symptoms come and go. Hmm. So, yeah, so we did a lot of going to like psychological doctors and physical doctors. And the only thing that really kind of showed up was hypoglycemia. So a tendency for low blood sugar and the doctor recommended, you know, you got to stay away from alcohol, stay away from caffeine, limit your processed sugar and try to eat protein every couple hours, huh. which did is, that help at all? It, it did. Yeah. And, um, it did help, it, but it's also one of those things where, the episode had kind of run its course by that time. So it had been about six months. And so things kind of just, the symptoms just kind of trailed off. So I am not informed about this. So tell me about the episode nature mm-hmm. of melted illness. So you'll, you'll have an episode and then you won't have any symptoms for a while? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So that's how it goes with me. So bipolar disorder, the bipolar comes from, there's two poles, the, um, the depressive pole that people are more familiar with, which is like regular depression. Okay. But then there's also the mania or excited or irritable state. And that's what I was talking about, like with the being awake all the time oh. and like um, having lots of energy. And so that's going to show up differently. And you could be in one of those two different states or you could be in somewhere in between. Or you could have like with bipolar, maybe you have that for a while and then you have no symptoms for a while. And that's mm. for me how it is. It's mm-hmm. just like I have a really, really hard time and then – no symptoms for several years. Hmm. Um, many women would be more have more of an experience of increased energy for a while, mm-hmm. and then depression for several months, hmm. um, and then maybe they're you know they feel pretty um, flat in a yeah. good way. <laughs> so would so. would sometimes bipolar women be diagnosed with just general uh, clinical depression? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's very common and it's very dangerous because if you're in a depressive state and they provide uh, prescribe you antidepressants, then that can throw you up into the manic state. And the manic state is more dangerous because you have more energy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, less rationality. Hmm. So Do that's something think... to really watch for. Like if you know you have depressive state and you think, I need to go to my doctor for depression, if you also have sometimes where you have high energy and you're up a lot, you want to talk to your doctor about that too because they'll prescribe something different if they know that. Okay, do you think doctors are educated very Mm -hmm. well in that, or do you think they need to have more knowledge of how to identify and how to prescribe medications? I think it's getting better. I think I think more doctors are have more understanding of that. But there's definitely there's definitely a piece missing in a lot of doctors like to not think of that bipolar. So I think people need to take ownership of that. Mm -hmm. And also not to be afraid of jumping up a level, right? So like if you've been seeing a family doctor Mm -hmm. and you're starting to think, you know what, this is a little bit more complicated, Mm. ask for a referral to a psychiatrist. Because a psychiatrist is going to be the expert in all of the medications and be able to ask you more pointed questions to figure out where you're at. So that, yeah, that was really So was that your journey? You went to a family doctor and then you were able to go to a psychiatrist and then you eventually got, you said you saw symptoms in Mm -hmm. middle school. Mm Mm-hmm. And when was your definitive diagnosis? Yeah, so my diagnosis came when I was 21. So all everything that I've said so far, that was like my middle school experience. And then it pretty much, I didn't have any symptoms or thought of mental illness at all until after college. So through that whole time, I was just eating my protein and trying right. to live a clean life, I guess, to exactly. try to stay healthy. And I do think that helped, like, put off. Uh-huh. Um, but then it was at the end of my first year of teaching, and it was another really stressful time. So, I, like, those hormonal changes are triggers. Stressful uh-huh. times can be triggers. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was at, yeah, I was at the end of my first year of teaching. And it was much harder that time, the episode. Like, I got really, really irrational, and uh, my parents came – to California where I was teaching high okay. school. Okay. And yeah, a lot of people don't know I taught high school for right. a year. Uh-huh. Um, and they brought me home and they're just like, we don't know what to do. We'll try to like provide a safe, calm environment. And for many people, that's going to be a good, like uh-huh. we're going to be at home and we're going to have safe, calm environment and we're going to work through this. Right. Um, but Did that not work for you? It didn't. It was like about, it was a week, I think, of that. And then what I remember is just being, just being kind of confused and talking to my parents and living just a very quiet life at home. And then I remember driving to the hospital. I was like Uh thinking clearly inside, but I couldn't 
I couldn't express myself. How scary for a parent. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that was their experience. And so they got to the end of like, we have no idea what to do. And clearly this had gone beyond a family doctor. And so they just brought me to the emergency room, Hmm. which it ended up okay in our case. Um, I think probably an appointment with a psychiatrist would be better, but you can't always get in. So, Mm -hmm. so anyway, so I ended up in the emergency room and there's always a psychiatrist on call. And And what did they do? They just came and asked a lot of questions and um, talked with my parents and talked with me. And it's definitely one of those when you have parents and kids that the doctors want to talk to the kids separate. Um, whether I think whether they're under 18 or over 18. You know, okay, and you were it. 21. I was 21. Okay. Yeah. I really wanted my parents there the whole time because I was scared and I of didn't know course. what was going on. But... So that's that's normal, like for them to talk to you separately. There's some kids who don't want their parents in there, and this parent should know that they always have the right to talk to the psychiatrist or the social worker or the provider. All right, that's good to know. Even if the social worker can't tell them what their child is saying, you can always give them more information. Because of the symptoms thing again, like your child can look fine Mm -hmm. when they come in, but Mm -hmm. that that psychiatrist needs to know. This right. is what she was doing last And the night. parents know best what right. you were like. Right. Yeah. The people that were right there, the parents or the partner, or the spouse, mm-hmm. you know, whoever mm-hmm. is also involved. Mm-hmm. We need to know that you can talk to them and tell them what you know. And um, so that's, that's a piece that we always try to communicate to families. Yeah. That's too. a good one. Yeah. So then, um, then the psychiatrist said, nope, I think she's bipolar. We're, we're going to have to treat this with really serious medication. And so we're going to have to check her into the behavioral health unit, which is the sixth floor here at Mary Greeley. So, so I was checked in. And um, so then that began just the process of medication to take me out of the confused, disrupted state. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then a long process of coming back to mm-hmm. healing. How hard is it to get those medications balanced? Is that a hard process? It is a really hard process um, to get them balanced. And when you're in a state that's like really depressed or really manic, they have to give you something that's really strong to just like pull your brain back. Hmm. Um, so for me, I think it was Haldol and that that just damps everything down. Like I've talked about it as it's a, it's a lightning storm in your brain and they just you need to shut it down. And so I, it was just a lot of days in the hospital of being very tired and I don't know, just really slow to kind of get everything shut down. And then, then we started back on trying to figure out what are maintenance medications that are going to help me stay mm-hmm. steady. Mm-hmm. So it's a couple phases. So that was probably really scary mm-hmm. while you were there, not knowing exactly what was going to be the final outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So is it scary today to talk about your illness to other people? It is. It's hard to talk about. Um, it's, I would say it's a little easier now, probably because I've had 20 years of experience of talking about it and I uh-huh. have talked a lot about it, but uh-huh. it can bring back memories. And so it can be hard emotionally. And um, I also, I've been healthy for a long time. And so a lot of people don't know that this is part of my experience. Mm. And so it's a level of vulnerability to exactly. say, no, like I was, exactly. I was sick, you yeah. know? So, yeah. I think that really helps though when you do tell people because it gives them the freedom to be vulnerable as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why do you think our society perceives mental illness so much differently than physical illness? Even in the church, I think we do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think 
it's confusing and it's hard. Like even, even me, it was like, well, does she have depression? No, she has, I think she has this, but you know, maybe it's schizoaffective. So it's not as easy to diagnose as say like diabetes, oh. you know, there's, there's continuums and there's bleed overs. And so people are just a little fuzzy about it. Uh-huh. And it looks really different for everyone. Like my bipolar looks really different than a lot of my friends who have bipolar. Mm. So that's some of it. And, you know, there's just still, there's still some confusion about how much of this is a spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, are you just not trusting God or is there some sin that's like weighing you down Uh and that's where your anxiety is coming from? Or is it because you made bad choices? Do you think you get that more in the church than just general society? Possibly. Yeah. I think it just looks different because if it, yeah, if you think about the bad choices thing, yeah, some people would talk about this in, but I cannot tell you how many times they asked you, asked me, are you sure you never took marijuana? Are you sure you never oh, took LSD? And wow. I like, no, I did it. Like this is not, so there's always, there's, I think that's where some of the stigma comes. It's like, uh-huh. did you deserve this? Huh. And, and that like the truth is there's some factors like I was really stressed out. I probably shouldn't have let myself get yeah. so stressed we out. We all get right? there though. Yeah. But not all of us have the you tendency know. to fall into, you know, the exactly. really depressive state. Right. So I think that's part people are confused. I also want to give people credit and say I think we've come a long way. Like my grandparents had some like they were not happy about it. They were like, are you sure? How could our baby granddaughter, ah. you know? So I got more of that from them. But like my church, I was going to my dad's church at the time. They were very loving and accepting and they brought us food like for months. So huh. I think that that is changing and can continue to change as people are like, no, you're having a tough time. I'm going to come alongside you. I don't care what it is, whether it's cancer mm-hmm. or a new baby or your mm-hmm. your brain is just not working for a while. Um, how has your illness affected how you think of God? We talked about some maybe, you know, even spiritual warfare that people might mm-hmm. attribute some of this to. How has it affected how you think of God? Um, Were you a Christ follower before? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So my walk with God, I would say, was not changed a lot. It has deepened and there's a level of, um, yeah, deepness to my faith where I can say, yeah, I was at the end of my rope and I still trusted in God and God still showed up. And it looked very different. Like I was not reading my Bible through in a year mm-hmm. when I was in that stage. Mm-hmm. I was like, read one verse a day, mm-hmm. you know? And But I, I just remember, yeah, talking to God a lot. And um, yeah, I guess I've talked more or I thought more about it just with um, thinking about decisions and how does my illness affect different decisions I make and just getting on my knees. And like last year, I just really felt I trust God. I trust God that you're going to be here mm-hmm. whether I'm in the hospital. I trust God that you're going to be with me where I'm at. So there's So you there's never went through a depth. time of, why did you do this to me, God? Did you not do oh, that? Oh, no. I mean, I still do that too. One of the times that I questioned the most, I guess, not while I was in it, it's hard to explain. So you're like, my brain was only working at 10 or 20% capacity, right? So okay. there was not a lot of capacity to think about. Contemplative. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that is different for some people. Like okay. some people don't have to go on those heavy, heavy drugs. <clears throat> right. And so they're able to mm-hmm. think. For me, it was like, 
how am I going to get up and how mm. am I going to eat? And that's like... But now, when you're not yeah. ill, uh, when you're living a, a pretty, really normal existence, how do you think about it now? Yeah, that's a good question. So we had a summit a couple of years ago about, it was a, the Theology Summit, yeah, and uh-huh. it was all about God's sovereignty. Uh-huh. And I really struggled listening to the speakers talk about, like, this is God's absolute will. Everything that happens in your life is God's will. And I just kept thinking, like, how how could this have been God's will for me to lose two years of my life? Because mm-hmm. I had to quit my job and move mm-hmm. in. Like, I had nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how, you know, couldn't he just have done this some other way? So, yeah, I definitely struggle with why things went the way they went. Another question that I think a lot about was, is it worth it? Because this is something I hear from a lot of women, anybody, a lot of Christians. They come after a a hard time and they say, well, it was really hard, but it was worth it because of everything that God did. And I have a really hard time saying that. Like, mm. it was really hard. And I don't know if it was worth it. You don't it. see the fruit of it yet. I see some fruit, but it was really hard. Right. Right? You'd like, rather not have done it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh-huh. like, couldn't God have done that some other way? Mm-hmm. And so there are times when that's definitely where I'm at. Um, earlier the year, this year though, I did come to a point where I said, you know what? I don't have to decide if it's worth it. Hmm. Like God chose or in his sovereignty, this is how he oversaw my life. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have to like stack up the fruit against the pain mm-hmm. and try to decide if it's right. worth worth it. I just need to live faithfully and let that question go. And, um, that's given me a lot of peace. Because every time people would say that, I'd be like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. Like, do I, am I like not spiritual enough that I can't say? And I just kind of came to the conclusion, I don't have to decide if it's worth it. I just have to be faithful. And That's a good conclusion. Don't you think people who have had um, maybe abusive relationships or bad parents, mm-hmm. uh, they probably don't know why that happened. Right. But they just have to accept it's part of who they are. Right. Yeah. And, and you don't have to get to that point, I don't think. You right. You just have to... Trust that God is in charge. Is in charge. That's that's good advice. You don't have to go further than that. I think yeah, that's where I that's, came down. That's excellent. So how has the illness affected how you think of yourself? Did you feel like very independent and sufficient before and then not when you had to go to your parents at 21 and kind of check out for a while? Yeah, I think so. Um you know, I wanted to move away. I went to college in Michigan, and so I wanted to move out. And uh-huh. so I moved to California, and it was it was great. I had a whole new set of friends, a like great boyfriend, a great church out there, great job. And, yeah, I was living, like, the life that I wanted to live. And so then to have to start over was really hard. So I think... I'm a lot, I'm a lot quieter. My mom has said, like, I'm a lot less sarcastic. Like, I think I had an hmm. edge. So it kind of changed your personality. Got blunted. Yeah, yeah. But for the better, um, according to them. It's hard, it's hard to, like, <laughs> yeah. tell on your, by yourself, right? right? right. So you kind of have to rely on people that yeah. know you really well. Uh-huh. Um, I think as far as day-to-day living, I talk about um, bipolar as a backpack. So I don't think about it a lot. Like, uh-huh. most of the time, my life is pretty stable and I can do what I want. I uh-huh. work and I have my yeah. home and I have my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always this backpack mm-hmm. that I carry around mm-hmm. and I know in the back of my mind, 
I need to make sure I get sleep. I need Mm. to make sure that I eat well. I Mm -hmm. need to make sure I don't rack up the stress. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of the backpack Mm. that I carry. That's that's a great way to describe it. So how have you found hope while living with mental illness? So this podcast, we're hoping, who are you hoping is going to listen to this? Yeah, I hope that um, parents will listen to it, that um, maybe they're seeing some things in their kids and they're trying to figure out, is this disobedience? Is this normal, quote, normal? Is this, you know, what is this behavior? And Mm -hmm. that they'll feel confident, you know, it's okay to explore this, to go talk with a counselor, Mm -hmm. to um, try to figure out, is this something that we need to pursue physically? Or is this something we need to pursue family counseling Mm -hmm. or individual counseling? Because we did that too. We did individual counseling. And, And just to feel free to spend some time to explore different options because it can be really complicated. So parents, women that are just thinking about hard things in their life, you know, what, why did this happen and mm-hmm. how, mm-hmm. how should I respond? And also I just people, I think one way that I found hope is people coming alongside me, like people in the church and even my friends at work for people to come alongside and say, hey, I know that this happened to you and I still love you and still value you. And mm-hmm. when you're in a hard time, I'm going to pick up for you. And so I would hope that um, everyone would just kind of look around and be more willing to ask questions or just say, hey, I'm going to show up. What can I do? Can I bring you a meal? So Yeah. Kind of so basically, just like anyone else struggling through a hard time, walking beside them mm-hmm. and saying, you're okay. We love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what you would hope. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I wanted also to say that it's a lot like living with any other chronic illness. Like Mm. I've talked to other women that have fibromyalgia Uh or Uh um, something that like comes and goes. So just to be aware that people are having a hard time and just because they look really good and look really together one day, it doesn't mean they're not having a really hard time another day. I think Mm. that's really hard for people. Like Mm -hmm. they look healthy. Right. Yeah. Uh Like you could show up to church today, all good, but like you don't know what the last three days have been like. Uh So like give people the space to do what they need to do and come when they can and not come, you know, maybe Uh they can only come to your connection group 50% of the time and that's okay. Yeah. Just give people the space. Is it okay for us to ask you, Hey, how are you doing? I really like it when people say, how are you doing? And you don't have to say much Mm -hmm. or how are you doing? And it's okay if you don't, want to talk about it mm-hmm. um something like that so you're giving you, give you an out mm-hmm. to not mm-hmm. really relay much yeah okay yeah if i were a young gal with bipolar sitting beside you today how would you give me hope that i could live well and live my life for the glory of god i think i would just talk to you about being faithful and just taking the next step every day because some days being faithful is going to mean taking your pills. Huh. And like this is what you and your doctor have decided is the best thing for you. Uh-huh. And that pill can be a gift from God mm-hmm. to help you live well and flourish and serve mm-hmm. him. So some days it means taking your pills even if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some days it means making good choices. And some days it means just like sitting before God and saying, this is not what I would have chosen, God, but this is where you've put me and I'm going to just be faithful. So. Mm. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks for just letting us in on a part of your life that maybe some of us don't know about and just being very vulnerable and telling us the truth. Would you like to say a prayer for all the women out there who are listening and really wanting to live well with mental illness, but really don't know how? Sure. 
Yeah, dear Father, we um, just come before you today and thank you for your community. You set it up that we would live in community and support each other. And so I pray, Lord, for um, women to reach out, to talk about their experiences, to share with those in their groups, um, to come alongside uh, with physical support and emotional support. And Lord, I pray for clarity for people who are considering whether they need to pursue medical treatment or bring their kids in. I pray for just discernment and for lots of wisdom for the doctors. We also just thank you for the, the medical community that we do have today that can help us live well and, and serve you well. Um, we just want to continue to trust you and bring you glory in everything we do. Um, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, Anastasia. This is going to be a huge blessing to many women out there. Oh, good. You're very welcome. Thanks for walking along with us today. I'd love to get to know you better, so let's walk again sometime, shall we?